Thank you, Bobby. So the gospel lesson for today comes to us from the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. It begins at verse 28. If you have your Bibles with you or if there's a Bible in the pew near you and you want to turn to it, uh, this is a good time to do it. Um, If you feel like taking notes, then uh, please do that as well. We're about to embark on a journey. We're about to embark on the season of Lent. And Ash Wednesday is coming up very soon. Uh, Wednesday, as a matter of fact. And so I'm hoping that uh, each of you will begin your journey of Lent here at the Ash Wednesday service. 7.30 right here in this sanctuary. Coffee is free. This morning we're talking about transfiguration. Before we can get into the Lenten journey, we have to take a look at this mountaintop experience that Luke talks about in his gospel. And so he says, Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. So here we start at one of these uh, scriptures that talks about something that occurred in the past. Now about eight days after these sayings. So what sayings is Luke talking about? See, Luke 9 is a, is a fairly busy chapter. It opens with Jesus giving the twelve disciples power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And in the same chapter, Herod, King Herod gets word of all that Jesus is doing and he's perplexed, the Bible says, by all of the rumors floating around that Jesus might be John the Baptist raised from the dead or he might be the prophet Elijah or one of the other ancient prophets reappearing. And in this chapter, we see that Jesus feeds the 5,000. And we also see Jesus ask this question of the disciples. Who do the crowds say that I am? And Peter declares to Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah of God. And also here in Luke chapter 9, Jesus foretells of his death and resurrection. He tells his disciples, the son of man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And it's also here in chapter 9 that Jesus talks about denying oneself, taking up one's cross and following him. And that's what brings us to our gospel lesson for this morning. All of what I just mentioned are the sayings to which Luke is referring to when he says, Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became Dazzling white. This is the transfiguration. Jesus becomes radiant in glory up on the mountaintop. He reveals to the three disciples that are there. 
he gives them a look, at least partially, of his true identity, his divinity. They got to see him in his glory so that they could get this greater understanding of who he was. See, before this, they'd only seen him in his, in his human body. They'd only seen him as human Jesus. And after telling them just eight days ago that he was going to die and be resurrected, which had to be just really hard for them to comprehend, he helped them understand those sayings by allowing them a glimpse into his godness, into his God nature. And so Luke continues in verse 30. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Why Moses and Elijah? Why is it Moses and Elijah that meet with Jesus on the mountaintop? Everything God does has a reason. It wasn't by accident. They just didn't happen to be camping out on the mountaintop when the disciples, the three disciples and Jesus went up there. They appear in their glory. Well, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. So here, in all their glory, they're the representatives of the law which Jesus fulfilled. And the prophets, whose countless prophecies Jesus fulfilled. And they're meeting with the author and the finisher of the new covenant, Jesus. And the old ways are being set aside. And the new way is coming into place. Verse 32. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with them. Maybe, you think maybe they learned a lesson about staying awake when they were hanging out with Jesus? There's a spiritual lesson here, I think. We have to stay awake in order to see the glory of Jesus. If we go to sleep at the switch, we miss the glory. His glory. And by default, our own opportunity for glory. Seeing glory requires us to be attentive to Jesus. It requires that we resist the urge to be lulled to sleep by complacency. We have to stay awake and focused on Jesus. Verse 33. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't realize what he was saying. See, Peter, gotta love Peter. He's enthusiastic. And if you remember, I've talked about Peter before. He's the guy who usually engages his mouth before he engages his brain. You know anybody like that? This is such a great moment on the mountaintop. Jesus and Moses and Elijah, they're radiant in glory. Peter wants this moment to, to remain. He, he doesn't want this moment to end. And he says, so let's stay a while. Let's build three houses, three dwellings. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's dwell here together on the mountaintop. I don't ever want to leave this experience is what he's saying. 
See, what we have to remember as we're getting ready to go into the Lenten season, which is a time of reflection, a time of getting to know who we are, who God is, and who we are in Him. We have to remember that the conference on the mountaintop, those mountaintop experiences that we have, they're not the main event. As much as Peter would like this experience on the mountain to continue, there is so much work still to be done down in the valley. The work is not on the mountaintop. It's down in the valley where all the people live. All, all the stuff is that people deal with every day. And so in verse 34, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Listen to him, God says to the disciples. Of, of the three people before the disciples, all three of them radiant in glory, God tells them, listen to Jesus. See, here is represented by Moses the law, and by Elijah the prophets, and by Jesus the new covenant from God. And God said, of those three, listen to Jesus. See, Jesus supersedes and fulfills the other two. So listen to Jesus from now on. Verse 36, when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. See, as much as the disciples would have liked to stay in the glory of the moment, the time on the mountaintop had to come to an end because all the work was in the valley. How do we know this? Well, if we read just the very next verse after this mountaintop experience in Luke, if we look at verse 37, it says, On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He's my only child. Suddenly a spirit seizes him and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, you faithless and perverse generation. How much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. See, Luke gives us an example, an account of the work still to be done in the valley. This passage about the boy with a demon. You see, there are many more demons in the world that need to be cast out, are there not? There's much sickness still to be healed. There's much work for disciples of Jesus Christ to be doing in the valley. And guess what? As believers, we are all disciples of Christ. 
And so we gather for a, a time on the mountaintop. That's what church is. We come together on the mountaintop. We get our spiritual batteries charged by soaking up the power of the Holy Spirit and basking for a time in the radiant light of Christ. But we just don't get to stay on the mountaintop. We can't stay here in our sanctuary within the walls of the church building. We we have to bring our worship time together to a close according to the leading of the Holy Spirit and we have to go and do the work. See, if if we stay on the mountaintop, who will do the work? If Jesus had stayed on the mountaintop, Who would go to the cross and save the world? And so this transfiguration of Christ is is a powerful event. It's a powerful glimpse of the divine glory of Christ. But it was not ever meant to keep us on the mountain. It was meant to energize us, to motivate us, to walk into the valley charged with this radiance of Christ to do the work of spreading the good news of the glory and majesty and divinity of Jesus. And so we remember it here today, just as Peter remembered it in his book in Scripture. He talks about it. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of His majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by human will But men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It's very clear to me from Peter writing here that the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountaintop, that experience for Peter was transformative. You don't see Jesus radiant in all his divine glory and not be affected by it in a very real, lasting, transformative way. And so what he did with it, well, he was the rock upon whose faith Jesus built the church. You're here as a result of Peter's experience on the mountaintop. See what can be done. Down in the valley, 
when we are attentive to Christ and take the mountaintop experiences that we have and go into the valley to do the work. Churches are built. Lives are saved. People come to know Jesus. Thousands and thousands of years into the future till Christ comes again. And all you have to do is walk down the mountain radiating that light of Christ into the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.